I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. In this episode, I talked to Preston and Sandy Shepard. In 1989, they planted a church in Manila, Philippines, that saw some of the most explosive growth we've seen in the kingdom of God. The Manila Church is now one of the larger churches in our Fellowship of Churches and continues to expand and multiply churches throughout that country. Listen and find out how they did it and what it was like those first few years. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I've got great news. The registration is open for the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference. If you want to grow, if you want to get encouraged, if you want to be around people that share your vision to change this world, I want you to register for the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference. It's coming up November 30th through December 3rd in Dallas, Texas. You can register at robskinner.com. That's robskinner.com. And I really hope that you can come. I want to see you there. It's going to be amazing. So please go robskinner.com and register today. I'm so happy to be able to talk with Preston and Sandy Shepard today. After Preston returned from his first mission to the Philippines, He came back and he led the church in San Francisco, the San Francisco Church of Christ with his wife, Sandy. Pam and I were just coming back from our honeymoon when they started discipling us. It was, they they arrived just when we were on honeymoon. And so that started a a discipling relationship that really changed my life. I mean, they, they were just so on fire for God and had done such amazing miracles in the Philippines. And it was a blessing to be able to uh, leave the care of um, Ed and Karen Townsend, who were discipling us up until that time. And they were leading the church at that time. And then Preston and Sandy took over. So they started discipling us. They helped us in their marriage. And they're just, they had such an amazing marriage. They just really had so much fun. You could tell, as did um, Ed and Karen. But then they set us off on a mission team to our first mission location, which was Portland, Oregon, which is in my home state of Oregon. And that was a dream come true to be able to plant a church there. After being there for a few months, we came back for a conference and Preston appointed us as evangelist and women's ministry leader. And they asked us to lead the church in Seattle, Washington. And during the time we were in Seattle, uh, we were able to form a team to plant a church to Anchorage, Alaska. So a lot happened in a very short period of time, but I'm always thankful for Preston and Sandy for their example, their guidance, their discipling that really helped me at an early time in in my Christian walk and really inspired me to continue to plant churches. So looking forward to this interview. Preston and Sandy, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be with you again. (laughs) It is fantastic to have you on the program. And I... I could go on and on about you guys. I mean, the influence you guys have had in our lives, when, the more I think about it, I just go, whoa, it was so um, 
influential, so powerful. I, I remember the first time we met, I think we were going to Costco or something. <laughs> and just I just remember your joy, your passion. I remember hearing stories about you being raised in, in Texas. And that really helped me so much. I was, I was 24 years old at the time. And um, I mean, the next several years, so much happened in a very short period of time. So thank you for your influence. Let me go ahead and start this interview by asking, how'd you guys become Christians? Well, for me, I was uh, raised in the traditional mainline church. And uh, my parents, I saw my parents baptized when I was about in the third grade. Uh, my sister was in the teen ministry or she got invited there and she really encouraged our family to come visit this church and they loved it and started studying with the minister there and got baptized and a uh, little little known fact was Al, uh, Al Gloria Baird were at that church he was working on his PhD and uh, I don't know what it was physics or something like that uh, at the University of Texas and she was my very first Sunday school teacher so uh but anyway, I got to witness my parents be baptized. I was raised up in that church. And, uh, you know, but yet, uh, and, you know, I got baptized at a very young age. Uh, it wasn't really until we moved to Boston. We'd been married six years before I was really came face to face with, uh, I would say, New Testament baptism as far as really being able to be open with your life and sins. Uh, at that time, Sandy and I were having some bumps in our marriage and there are some issues that you know really stemmed way back in my life as uh, uh late teens and and uh, early in our, well not so much in our marriage but you know, from our dating times and and i just hadn't been open with my life and i remember um came to a discipling time with kip was discipling at the time in boston and he says you'll never guess who's getting baptized on friday night and i go who's that and he goes Gloria Baird. And I go, Gloria, you know, she was an elder's <laughs> wife at that point. And I go, why, uh, why is, why is Gloria getting baptized? And he says, well, she felt like she had never really been open with her life, uh, open about her sin and, you know, all that kind of thing. And, and I go, wow. And then I, I said, Kip, I need to talk to you because I feel very much the same way. And, uh, at that time, Scott Green and I were being discipled at the same time and he just asked Scott to stay in the in the living room and we went in the kitchen and probably talked for four hours just oh left gosh. Scott all by himself <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know we kind of went through light and darkness together and and uh basically I, I came home and told Sandy I said Sandy guess what uh I'm gonna get baptized uh, you know here real soon and and uh, kind of shocked, but you know, I was so fired up because I'd been studying Bible with people mm. and not really able to confront them on their sin the way that, you know, I needed to because I wasn't really open with my life. So anyway, I was baptized November uh, of 1986 mm. uh, after we'd been married about six, seven years already. And but uh, that's that's where I call it my first or my really biblical baptism. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, so we actually met in the campus ministry back in Lubbock, Texas. Um, um, my roommate, I just had kind of like a potluck roommate because I didn't know anybody there at all. Mm -hmm. And she was a member of the Church of Christ. 
So we would go to the student center for devotional beginning of the semester and then not go and, you know, just check in, I guess. Um, and then there were a couple girls, um, Eva and Monette, that knocked on my door every single week, inviting me to Bible study. Mm. I mean, I think because I was nice to them, they <laughs> kept coming back and I kept saying, sorry, I, I am too busy. I can't come until, you know, eventually I did go and then started going with the campus ministry group and seeing people get baptized and you're reading my Bible. So, you know, at that point I got, I, I got baptized there. Preston actually had done some Bible studies with me. And, um, so when he came home in Boston saying he needed, he was going to be baptized. I was like, what? Wait a minute. You're the one who studied the right, Bible with exactly. me. You know, I, what does that mean for me? You know, he, he, he was like, I think you were older. I think you were fine. But, you know, it just kept weighing on me. And I remember, I remember being in a house church group and people sharing their testimony and just thinking, gosh, I wish I'd really, you know, done some crazy things when I was like, you know, I could say I was a drug addict, but <laughs> now look at me, you know, right, I right. just wish I had that kind of testimony, right. but I'd been studying the Bible with people. And so I knew the scriptures and I was like, wait a minute, if you were really convicted about your sin, you would have a powerful testimony mm. no matter what right. your sin was. Cause I always had that. I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I, you know, would do this and not, but not this, you know, I, I, I drank, but I didn't take drugs or, you know, mm -hmm. just right. always qualifying that. So, you know, it was at that point, first time I really looked at my sin in detail and got super convicted, you know, about how much I'd hurt Jesus with my sin mm. and, you know, how he died for me and, you know, just really, yeah, felt convicted. So I was baptized probably what, maybe a month or two later mm -hmm. after that mm -hmm. in Boston. Right, right. And I, I remember there was kind of a wave of rebaptisms during that time, 86, 87. A lot of people were reconsidering whether they had actually repented or really understood what they were doing at the time. How, so you guys met back in Texas, I'm assuming. How? What was it like first time you guys met? Well, um, yeah, we, I'm, I'm almost four years older than Sandy. I'd graduated from Texas Tech and I had a job at Texas Instruments at the time, but I didn't really want to be a part of the singles ministry. So I kept coming back to the campus and uh, would lead Bible talks on campus uh, sometimes twice a week, uh, you know, to uh, help the campus ministry. We had a very powerful campus ministry. We had over a hundred baptisms a year uh, wow. during those times. Uh, we probably had close to, you know, 15 to 20 Bible studies all throughout the dorms on Texas Tech. And it was very powerful. We had probably 400 students that were very active. Wow. Uh, sometimes a Sunday morning class would get up to six, 700 people, you know, just on Sunday morning. So it was a very, very active group. Uh, we were together literally every day. Um, I don't, first time I remember seeing Sandy was at a spring banquet. She was the date of uh, one of my good friends and uh, Kelly. And uh, I just thought, 
She is way over Kelly's head, um, you know, and I, I might need to help him out on this. So unfortunately, Kelly went home for summer break and I was still there during the summer. And and I remember uh, calling the student center and saying, hey, Milton, uh, what was that girl that, that Kelly took to the banquet? <laughs> and, and he told me and so I called her up for a date and, you know, we, we dated from there and, um, you know, traditional church we didn't have the guidelines that you need to only date other christians that kind of stuff so we kind of looked at it as a dating ministry you know we would date girls and bring them in and study the bible with them and and uh you know that kind of thing hopefully not have uh you know bad effect from uh dating a non-christian but right. but um anyway uh she came to several baptisms and started asking questions and we studied the bible and and uh went from there so I, I do have to say, even though I wasn't a Christian and he supposedly was a Christian, the first time I remember knowing, or I don't know, meeting, knowing who he was, whatever was, I remember being in a devotional, we're sitting on the floor in a circle and he winked at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. I think I had something in my eye. But, uh... I'll let, I'll let her think. Maybe that. it was the spirit. Who knows? <laughs> okay. So, so give me kind of like a, like a, a picture there of those early days from, from the time that you guys met to how you got to Boston. And then how'd you guys become the leader of the Manila mission team? If you could just kind of give us a overview of what, you know, what you're doing during that time period, especially during the eighties leading up to the mission team. Yeah. Well, I was, I was working at Texas Instruments and uh, I had a Bible study, Texas Instruments and several guys got baptized through that. Uh, you know, and I was just on fire to, to really want to go in the ministry and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, I went back and got my degree in Bible and, uh, all that. And then finally I had an opportunity. Uh, Milton called me up and said, uh, there's an opportunity. They're looking for campus minister up in Washington. And I started talking to different friends. Uh, first, I talked to Sandy. I said, at that point, we we're already engaged. Uh, and she thought I was going to be a Texas Instruments executive, and she was going to go into interior design. And I said, uh, after I talked to Milton, I said, how would you like to be a minister's wife instead? <laughs> and, you know, and she goes, that's fine. <laughs> Let's do it. And we put together a mission team. Uh, a lot of the guys that I baptized at Texas Instruments, left their jobs, went with us, but we had about 12 people um, that left and we went up to Bellingham, Washington. We're involved in campus ministry there. That was, that was a really neat time. And just uh, two years time uh, grew to about 75 students. We, wow. we, we sent out our own mission team. Uh, Kurt Simmons was baptized in that ministry and uh, a good friend and Patty and a good friend, uh, Jacobs, we made them our first two interns and sent them out after two years. So it was a very active ministry as well. Uh, from there, we moved to Oklahoma for one year. And uh, Dave Weger helped me with that, uh, uh, find that job. Uh, and then we went up to Boston just to kind of research Boston. All the mainline churches were sending people up there. I was so impressed and uh, basically came back with the conviction that I'm, I'm going to end up in Boston at some point. Mm. Well, you talked to, he talked to one of the elders 
at the church we were at and said, hey, I think we need to, you know, call people to commitment. Um, you know, we saw that in Boston, like people being called to be committed. And I think we need to do that here. And the, the elder said, well, it's a good thing, but we really couldn't do that because we'd lose half our membership. And that was the point when Preston said, uh, we need to move to Boston. Wow. <laughs> you know, we can't stay here. Yeah, he had a cush pretty cushy job and the church, but, you know, we're like, we just can't stay here. Okay, so let, let me backtrack a little bit. When you say Milton, who are you, who are you referring to? Yeah, Milton Jones, uh, just a great, great friend. Uh, he was, uh, he had a finance degree and I had a finance degree. He was my mentor in every way. He, he taught me how to do Bible studies with people. He was our associate campus minister at Texas Tech. And Texas and, Tech uh, is in Lubbock. Is that where that's at? Yeah, yeah, okay. in Lubbock, uh-huh. And he, he started uh, put together a group that went to Seattle, Washington in 78. And that kind of really, you know, put the thought in my head that maybe I can do the same thing. And so two years later, we took a mission team to Bellingham, north of Seattle, about an hour north of Seattle uh, in 1980. I see. Okay, 1980. So we're going way back. Okay, so then Oklahoma. So what 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 Before year you were born, Rob? I know. What year did you get to Boston? Uh we got to Boston in 85. Okay. And so uh, I remember going, we were we were close to Dave Weger. Dave and Judy Weger were there at the time. And I asked Dave, I said, Whose house church are we gonna be in? He goes, uh, you're gonna be in your house church. And <laughs> they they made us house church leaders from the very beginning. I was scared to death. Uh, you know, these Boston guys, they, they really knew how to preach and they were so dynamic. And, and I was just going, man, I've got a lot to learn. But um, anyway, God really blessed, it. you know, our house church grew like crazy. And within about eight months, uh, all of a sudden I'm made a region leader over house churches and Kip started discipling me. And, uh, you know, just, it just kind of took off from there. So while we were in Boston, the thing that impressed us so much about Boston was that when we looked at the membership, every single member, and I'm, I'm not joking, every single member had a dream of going on a mission team somewhere. And it was just, uh, it blew us away. Uh, you know, and so it's, it was just incredible times. I mean, the church was doubling in size, gosh, I don't know, probably every six months or something. It was just incredible. Um, yeah. I was talking to Al Baird about that. He said, over the course of the years between 79 and 89, they saw 60% growth per year, every year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that yeah. is just blow away. It's incredible. Right. Oh, I, I, I will have to say that um, even though when Preston came and or called me and said, Hey, do you mind being a minister's wife? You know, and I didn't mind at all. I said, sure. I was used to, moving because my dad was uh, in the Air Force and, you know, just adjustable that way, you know, but I didn't have any desire to be in the ministry. I um, didn't, you know, I liked studying the Bible with people and all that, but I wasn't like, yeah, I want to be in the ministry. And then when we moved to Boston, Preston said, they said, we're going to be in your house church. I was like, well, Who's going to lead the women? <laughs> I don't know anything about what I'm doing, right? And even when we became zone leaders in Boston, um, Barbara Noka, who's now Barbara Porter, actually, she led the zone with Preston. As a single one. And I was the assistant because I, you know, 
but there was a time they said you need to go cancel this married married couple because they're having you know major marriage problems and I was like I'm not going <laughs> what to say <laughs> Barbara you gotta go she's single right I, I made her go do the marriage counseling so I mean that's kind of where I right right kind, kind of initially was at right as far as that goes and you know. Okay. So you get there, you're thrust into leadership immediately. And it's just kind of like, learn how to swim by and just being thrown <laughs> into the water. Although, I mean, you'd had you'd had experience raising up ministries, and you're fired up about making disciples, just in terms of larger, larger groups, larger leadership, you didn't have that experience. How, how did you become the leaders of the Manila mission team? Well, before that, I mean, we, we were probably chosen on about six to eight different mission teams. <laughs> uh, eventually, we end up going to Denver. Uh, and the Denver church, uh, we, we led the reconstruction there. And the Denver church wanted to be a part of the discipling movement. So we went there and kind of recount the cost to everybody. And it was about 200 members when we got there. Uh the Denver church had explosive growth in that year. We, we went from 200 members to 500 in one year. And I think that um, the success of the Denver church kind of, uh, I think, made us a candidate to lead uh, the mission team to Manila. Uh, Kip called us and said, uh, we're thinking about sending a foreign mission team out this year. At that point, uh, I think it was the conference in 89, they only had four mission teams slated to be sent out of Boston, but they're all domestic. Uh, one was DC, one was LA, and I can't remember where the other ones were. But um, but he said, we really want some foreign teams to go out. So we're putting together a couple other foreign teams. And I think Manila and maybe Moscow were the two that were chosen in 89 to be sent out in that year. And so he uh, asked us to, to do that. And so we... Uh, we worked on putting together a mission team to Manila. Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like, you know, kind of going back to what I said before, God definitely worked on our hearts to get us to the point where we were able to lead the mission team. Um, right after we got to Boston, they called us in and asked us to join the Bombay mission team, which was like, so incredibly overwhelming to me. I had a two-year-old and, you know, I had no idea what it was even like in India. You know, right. I just was like completely overwhelmed. We had huge marriage bumps over, over Preston feeling like God was calling him to go to um, Bombay and me feeling like God's not calling me to go to Bombay. <laughs> Until, you know, they, then they retracted that, um, that offer to go on the mission team. And then we were on the Hong Kong mission team. We actually went to Hong Kong with Scott and Lynn for a scouting trip, but you know, all of those things, I feel like what the Hong Kong thing, I was just kind of pushing myself like, okay, I probably need to do this. And, you know, but God, God knew I wasn't ready for that mm. either. And so I think it just, you know, Little by little, God worked on my heart to be able and willing to not only lead, I guess, um, in the ministry, but be willing to go on a mission field, right? Uh, especially to a third world country. 
Okay, so you went to Denver. When when did you go to Denver? When did you come back? Uh, we went in 88, uh, like April of 88, and we were there almost exactly a year. So it was probably like in December of that year that Kip called and said we want to put together a Manila mission team. And and uh, at first it was going to be just a lean to mean team, you know, probably like six people. Uh, and then somehow things changed and it became a, a probably the largest team that's ever been sent out, be right. my guess. We probably had 500 Filipinos that wanted to go on the mission team. I know. I know. You know. Right. Just, well, okay. So you were in Denver when you were called to go to Manila. You weren't back in Boston. Right. right. I was in Denver. Okay. So you left from Denver. Now this is where, you know, kind of my story comes in there because I was at UC Berkeley as an intern there, and I remember all my friends from Berkeley, you know, a lot of Filipinos, they were getting called to go on on that mission team. People like, um, you know, Anthony Galang and, and, and Ed Superio and, you know, different people like that. And uh, it, was, it was awesome. I mean, tell us about how did you form the team? Yeah, we, we, I think we formed the team about a six different uh, churches, uh, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, San Diego, uh, Denver. I'm leaving out one, I think. But uh, There's we, a couple of people in Manila already. But we went, we went to visit each church, and uh, there'd be like a Filipino devotional. And gosh, so many people would come out. I mean, the hearts of the Filipinos are just mind-blowing. Uh, you know, as far as wanting to go back and, uh, you know, and so we, we sat down, had a devotional together. And I remember in San Francisco, we had just a big room full of people. And I think we could only select maybe 10 or 12 uh, from San Francisco. That was the largest contingent uh, of any of the churches that we went to. And, but every single person wanted to go, you know, when we're faced with how do we select 10 out of these wow. 60 or 70 people? And uh, I remember we only asked them two questions, I think, was uh, one was, uh, when you think of Manila, what do you think of? Mm. And why do you want to go? And it's just those two questions. And from the answer of those two questions, uh, Kip was there with us, Sandy and myself. We got together and we had a list of names and we literally used it as a Gideon experience. Uh, you know, almost like a fleece, you know, if they said something spiritual, you know, if they said, when you, when you think of Manila, what do you think of? If they said something like the food, the food or <laughs> it's just hot or the traffic, you know, then unfortunately yeah. they probably yeah. got a little X, you know, <laughs> if they think of, you know, just lots of lost people, <laughs> right. something like that, you know, right. anything spiritual, they got a check mark, you right. know, and we got together and compared names and we came up with about 10 or 11 people and uh, we got together, I think the next day and announced uh, we'd like to invite these 10 or 11 to come. We pretty much did that everywhere. Uh, we didn't know when we'd go to these places, we didn't really know them, you know, Son and Anthony have become best friends, but uh, we had no idea who any of them were when we'd go there. Uh, and the team itself, they never met each other. I mean, they came from six different cities. The very first time the team even got together as a team was three days before we left to go to, Man uh, to Manila. So uh, just a lot of incredible, miraculous things, I think, as far as how the team came together, the relationships on the team and 
and how they work together. Okay, so you guys gathered. Where was your launch point? Where did you guys take off from to to go to? We, came, we came to San Francisco. Okay, so San Francisco. And, uh, and how so, many how many people officially on that that team coming from the states? We had twenty eight. You had twenty eight. Okay, can you share some of the names that you remember from that team? Oh gosh, I'm going to leave out some people. So you got me in trouble. <laughs> I have a list in my computer. I'd be very happy to do that. But uh, we, you know, we we just got together uh, when we went to Orlando for the conference. Right. We uh, the Filipinos always have at these big conferences always have a time just for the Filipinos, right. and so many of them were actually baptized over there uh, in Manila. But I think we had like twelve of the uh, original mission team in Orlando, and we got together and had a great time. But Son and Anthony were, uh, you know, there, and and uh, they they weren't married. Sandy and I were the only married couple uh, out of the twenty eight. Wow. Uh, Mark Rimajan from MIT uh, was uh, there, and uh, he was the only other non-Filipino on our team. So we had 25 Filipinos, three gringos, and uh, only one married couple. Uh, we did take a single mom, Mary Ranches, uh, which was very unusual, but just her response was so great that, you know, we go, you know, we've got to take her. And, you know, it wasn't ne- necessarily the natural pick to take a single mom but you know at least uh our kids had another kid to play with right you know? so that was the kids kingdom right there uh three kids <laughs> but um chester and sarakat uh that was pretty much our first um zone leaders was uh mark and patsy chester and sarakat sandy and i we divided 20 up 20 it's on anthony we divided up the uh, original 28 into three groups, and those were our three zones in a city of close to 15 million people at that point. Wow. You know, and so we all lived about an hour apart from each other. Uh, so, you know, the team kind of was spread out over a very large geographic area when we first started the work there. Right. What kind of growth did, did the church experience in that first year? It was you start- unbelievable. You know, it was just, uh, just a number sake. We had 60 baptisms the first 60 days, wow. uh, which was just unbelievable. And we pretty much stayed on that pace. We had, uh, over 400 baptisms the first year, uh, you know, and so all of our original team members pretty much were Bible talk leaders leading their own Bible talk at the end of that first year. Uh, and I believe we only had, two or three Bible talk leaders on the team when we put the team together. So they all, you know, they, they weren't even Bible talk leaders when they were on our team, you know? Uh, so they all rose up and everybody had to rise up and take on much greater responsibilities than they even dreamed of. Well, well, what was amazing was, you know, all of, all of these people on our mission team, you know, like, in the Philippines, the American dream is the dream to go to America. And so these had all, all experienced that their families had come to America. Maybe they were born here, raised here, or maybe they just had a green card. I think Sabrina just had a green card. She was working here and um, they wanted to give that up. And so when we went back and they shared their faith and people were like, what, why, what are you doing here? Like, why did you come back here and why did you give that up? And so I think it was so impressive 
that people were like, okay, I'll, I'll come and see what this is all about. So there was a power in, you know, their sacrifice um, that, that people that, saw. That really parts. is true. People came to church just to see these people that were willing to come back to the Philippines. Wow. And of course, you know, that, that was a great impact upon our, our, you know, culture there. But uh, it also was very evident from the persecution they all felt. I mean, I got call after call after call while we're putting the team together from angry parents going, you know, there is no way my kid is going back to the Philippines. You know, we mm -hmm. sacrificed so much to get them over here, right? you know, to get them over here and to go to school and to start over. I mean, and, uh, they, you know, they were just so mad. I mean, I, I really thought I was going to be assassinated <laughs> uh, just from one of the parents. Uh, but, you know, I'm almost to a person, every single person had that intense family pressure and crit criticalness, uh, you know, and so, but it just spoke to their heart, wanting to right. put God first and being willing to go on a mission. And, and uh, so it was, it was just incredible. They all had that in common. I think that probably was the bond of our team was that they all had kind of gone through the foxhole, if you will, of uh, family pressures. And, right. And having to make that personal sacrifice, every single one of them realized, you know, this is a huge sacrifice. Right, exactly. I, I just talked to Son and Anthony in an episode, a couple episodes ago, and, you know, he gave up his his application to med school. He was going to become a doctor right. and, and gave that up, and Son was already a nurse, and so many people like that, so gifted and talented, and gave so much up to go on that team. Let's talk about the first 30 days. You've got 28 people. You've got 15 million people to reach. What'd you do? What was your plan? Oh, wow. Those, those were super exciting days. You know, what was, and you, you know, we left San Francisco and went first to Tokyo for about a week. And in Tokyo, we joined two other mission teams. So in Tokyo, the Bangkok mission team was there. And they were going to leave and go to Bangkok. And then also the Seoul mission team uh, was there. So, gosh, I guess there were several foreign mission plannings. You know, it kind of <laughs> all blew up. Right. Um, but anyway, all three of our mission teams were there. We all bonded together for a week. And then we all left the same day to go to our prospective cities. But uh, the Bangkok mission team went with us to Manila first. And there's about 10 people. So for the first week, we our mission team was more like 38 people. Uh, we asked each of the mission team members to bring uh, to get $2,000 from the church so that first month they wouldn't have any financial pressures. And, and so for the most part, they're all kind of like full-time workers for the first month. Yeah. Um, so I think our experience in the Denver church, um, when we had done the reconstruction, we did what we call life talks with people. Um, and we, so we had decided that that was a really powerful thing. So the first week or two, I think we went with every um, member of the mission team and did a life talk, which is really just tell me all about your life. Tell me how you became a Christian. Tell me how you're doing spiritually now. You know, uh, it, it it can be a really powerful thing where you, know, bonding yeah, you just really got to know somebody mm -hmm. on a deeper level. So we did that the first couple of weeks, I think. 
as well as people sharing their faith. I think we had Bible talk right away. Maybe the first week we'd have different Bible talks. We were, we all stayed together in the Galarmi apartments um, for what, three weeks or a month? Well, two or three weeks probably. But um, the thing that, you know, Sandy and I always look back at, you know, especially those very early days was that every single one of us knew why we were there. Right. Uh, Manila was such a different, I mean, it's like going to a different planet for Sandy and I, uh, and many of these uh, people in the mission team, they, they might've been born there, but, uh, they were raised in the States. Uh, you know, so most of them were raised in the States. Um, you know, the parents, you know, made the move over, but, uh, you know, we woke up and saw poverty around us everywhere. And, uh, you know, you never forgot the fact that, oh, we're missionaries here. You know, you, you didn't get caught up in a environment that, you know, was, was really cool. And I mean, you know, you just, you saw things on a daily basis that just reminded you, we are here on the mission field. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, it was just constantly our, our team. I'm just so proud of them because they just constantly sharing their faith. We were the first four days after the first four days, we had our first Sunday service. We had 256 people at our Sunday service. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it was just, <laughs> we were just all blown away. I mean, it was just, people would just come out of everywhere, you know? And uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of people that came were relatives, oh, yes. you know, aunts and uncles, uh, you know, that kind of thing, but there's still tons, you know, probably half the crowd were first time visitors. I mean, not, not family members, but first time, you know, contacts. Um, but it was just very, very powerful in that way. And so, I mean, within a week or 10 days, we saw our first baptism and then our second and our third. And it just, you know, people were so excited about just sharing their faith, studying the Bible people. And, and, uh, you know, it was just, it's just a miracle. I mean, we literally felt we're, we're, we're witnessing a miracle. That's an, that's yeah, incredible. I, I mean, Go ahead. The other thing I think about, like, like we, we did stay together for, you know, the first few weeks, but even when we separated and we were pretty far apart, like son and Anthony lived over an hour away. Uh, you know, we had, you know, we had Friday night devotionals together and everybody would come. You know, we had Wednesday night and Sunday church. So I, I feel like the the relationships because of the time we spent, but also, you know, definitely because we're all making a big sacrifice together. You know, we, we were really bonded. So I feel like that was a huge part of it was uh, the relationships were, were just tight and right. close. Right. Well, what was one of the most surprising aspects of living in the Philippines? Um, could have been the cockroaches or the mice or the rats or <laughs> no, I think, I think it was the, the hearts of the people, the Filipino people have just amazing, amazing hearts. They're super hospitable, but the, another thing that's really cool is, um, you know, Philippines is considered the only Christian nation in Asia. And it's 98% Catholic. So there was, you know, ingrained in the people uh, a belief and a fear of God, uh, a belief of the Bible. So I think that that was um, 
that was just really impressive and amazing because when when faced with the Bible, they were like convicted. I think that's when we we've started doing discipleship study first in the Philippines because we would have people weeping and being completely broken because they realized, no, I, I haven't been a disciple. I now, they know. had, like I said, they had a, a belief in God, but to a person, and I'm not sure if any of them had ever opened the Bible before, you know? And so uh, when we got into these Bible studies and opened the Bible up, there, there's just a conviction among the people that they wanted to please God. And mm -hmm. they go, well, if God says that, I mean, it was just, uh, it was just the right time uh, for the mission team. I think God knew exactly when the most fertile ground in the Philippines uh, was going to be. And, and it was just a beautiful time where, you know, people open up the scriptures and they just really want to respond to it. Wow. Okay. So there was a lot going on back there. My, a guy that I reached out to in the, um, in my dorms, his name, um, Rich, oh my gosh, Rich Gonzalez. Um, he was from the team. Yes, I think he went on the team. Santos? Rich Santos. Okay, Rich Santos. So Rich, and I remember when Benigno Aquino got assassinated coming back to the Philippines. Right. Um, I think Ferdinand Marcos died uh, right around that time, a longtime dictator. So there was, I mean, things were uns much more unsettled back then. What what were some of the shocking things you experienced? What were the things you go, whoa, that, you know, wasn't expecting that? Well, you know, just natural things, you know, the typhoons, floods, uh, Mount Puntubo blew up, uh, you know, uh, during our second time back there, uh, you know, earthquakes, over 6,000 people were killed in an earthquake that we were pretty much right in the middle of, um, you know, just extremes and weather. Uh, Sandy talks about the mosquitoes. I got bit by a rat and had to go through rabies uh, oh, shots oh, and no. all that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, the pollution was intense. But, uh, you know, when we were there, you mentioned about the political stuff. Uh, Sandy and I got invited to uh, go to Tokyo to speak while we were there. And so we left our kids behind, uh, probably ages two and five or something like that at the time. Uh, we left our kids behind with a couple of sisters in the church, and we went to Tokyo. While we're in Tokyo, let Sandy take over. Okay. So while we're in Tokyo, there's a coup. Oh, no. against the government and the they shut down the, the airport so we couldn't even get back in um there was fighting within what a mile of our house um i mean i mean it was really scary you just hear you know hear it on the radio you'd hear it you know we'd hear it on the phone when we yeah. talk <laughs> we, you know, luckily we were able to call back and and they never shut down the communication so we were able to talk to the kids but I think um, at that point, the scariest thing for me was I knew I needed to call my parents because they were going to call right. our house in the Philippines and right. then the, find here, out that we weren't there. I was saying one of the parents that got really upset, I was talking about the Filipino parents, but it was also her mother. Her mother was so upset with me. I was like, I hope you're happy when your kids get kidnapped in the Philippines. You know, so Sandy was really afraid to call back to her own parents. But they were fine in a crisis. But, um, but I just remember like how scary that was. And then just, you know, we had the Christians in Tokyo there, you know, with us, encouraging us. 
And then I remember, I don't know, you know, if somebody shared it or what, but the scripture that just kept me going was, um, was that Psalm in the Psalms, 34. Psalm 34, verse seven, it says the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him mm. and deliver them. Wow. And I, I just prayed and pictured angels camping around my kids, mm. keeping them safe. Wow. And then when we, three days later, we, we were headed to go back. I think we had to stay. Yeah. We had to stay overnight in the airport one night because they said, no, we can't, you know, flight can't go back to the Philippines. And then the next morning they said, um, the flight will go if the crew was willing because <laughs> wow. yeah, there was still, the right. crew wasn't over. Right. They wanted to get back to their families too. Yeah. Sure. So, so we flew back that morning. I remember feeling it was like so scary thinking of what are we going to witness when we get there? And what I remember was it was still scary, but it wasn't what I expected. Like the airport seemed kind of normal and getting to our house Although there was fighting, still, you know, we could hear about a mile away and you never know what's going to happen. But, um, but that lasted for maybe another week or yeah, another week. Wow. Yeah, we'd, we'd watch mortar fire and machine gun fire out of our window. Preston Sandy, I mean, 60 baptisms in 60 days. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, that's amazing. 400 in the first year. I mean, you had like 300 baptisms in, in Denver in like a year or 300 growth at least. I mean, it was ama- it was an amazing time, obviously. But can you share some, some things, some stories that really inspired you from that time? I'm sure there's so many you could share. But looking back, what, what fills you with a sense of awe of, of God's power? I, you know, it's, it's something that I'm kind of wondering if it can be reduplicated I'm, I'm sure it can but uh it was just an amazing amazing time it just all came together uh i i don't think it's it funny because somebody called us i think from australia during that time and they said uh, hey we're wanting to write you up in our bulletin or something like that and um and uh and they said uh, what is what is your name and i said well my name is preston and he goes i've never heard of you and I go, <laughs> so I went back to our team and I said, I think we're the no name mission team. <laughs> Nobody's ever heard of us, you know, and uh, that's kind of the way we were, you know, as we took, we took pride in the fact that, you know, we didn't have any big names on our mission team. We were just all a bunch of, you know, Bible talk leaders or not even that, but, but everybody just worked together as a unit. I think that was the, the most powerful thing was working together as a unit. I tried to instill, and probably when we came to San Francisco, I tried to instill the same thing, was wanted every Bible talk to experience fruitfulness. Mm. And we really wanted every Bible talk to believe that they could be fruitful. And, of course, in Manila, that happened multiple times. But instill that belief. And um, and there was a lot of training that went on. Uh, one of the things I missed most about ministry is just training. Uh, I never really considered myself that great a preacher. Or, you know, I love to teach, but training was the thing that I enjoyed more than anything is teaching people just to, to walk powerfully, to, to speak powerfully, to even read the Bible powerfully, you know? And, uh, you know, and so once people, but we, we worked a lot on that aspect of, of just daily training 
some of those, you know, confidence builders, I guess you could say, you know, has helped people be confident in themselves, confident that God was with them. And they brought that to the Bible talk. I remember having um, Bible talk leaders meeting and we would do like mock count the cost. <laughs> you know, it, it was kind of fun and funny because, you know, you'd have your person bring their person, you know, and say, why do you want to become a Christian? And of course they'd say the wrong thing. And that, you know, their Bible talk leader would be like, ah, that's not what you said. You know, but <laughs> we, we kind of, you know, do that mock count the cost. And then one thing I think, you know, which I know it's different in different places, but I feel like um, we pretty much said, if you're a Bible talk leader, you can count the cost. And I know, you know, what I've seen in different churches, you know, since then, it seems like it's, you know, sometimes it's only full-time people or, you know, only certain people. Right. And I think that does limit because when people don't feel like they can help somebody become a Christian completely, you know, and I would say an average Christian, if they became a Christian themselves, knows what kind of heart somebody needs to have to become a Christian, you know? And so I think that does help. It helps people feel like, Hey, we're empowered. We can, we can study the Bible with somebody and help them become a Christian. Mm. We don't have to get okayed, you know, or anything. So I, I think that was a big one. So like empowering every single person that I'm a disciple maker, I'm a fully equipped yeah. disciple maker. You know, Preston, I remember when you guys did come back to, to San Francisco, we met together daily with a staff. I mean, there was a lot of driving involved and a lot of, <laughs> of practice. When you're talking about like daily training, I remember just you put together a series called Man in the Morning, which was like a guide through the entire Bible. I think it's still available on Amazon. But also I remember one of the things you said is, you know, if you're going to have a quiet time, there's, there needs to be an acrostic. And what that was is like, you know, if you read a section of the Bible, you're going to come up with points. And, you know, it, the first letter of the point, um, when you put it together, the other points makes a word like, you know, God or, you know, Bible or power or something like that. And, you know, it was fun because it was training both for preaching, but also it trains you to you know, organize your thoughts and organize, you know, what you're reading and really think about it. And, you know, that <laughs> you, we call preaching your quiet time. Exactly. It was, it was awesome. It was great, great memories during that time. Anything else you guys were doing that, that, you know, you could share that could be used today in any situation. I, I just think people's faith that, you know, it, I think sometimes our, just our faith is so limiting, uh, you know, as far as what we can do. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are like Gideon, you know, just believe that we're just a, a little nobody that can't, God can't work through us. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, God really wants to work powerful deeds through every single one of us. Right. And so don't think of yourself, you know, Gideon thought he was the lowest in his clan. And yet God did incredible things through him. And so just holding on to the, the faith that God can do incredible things through me, through every single person. Every single person in the Bible talk is, is, uh, has that power from God. Right. You know, so. I, I remember Preston preaching at some point about specific prayer. 
And so that was kind of a, a big thing. You yeah. want to tell that story about? Yeah, we had two brothers that went out just sharing their faith. And we've had this lesson on specific prayer. And they kind of prayed a really specific prayer. You know, the guy had to be wearing, uh, you know, a red tie and white shirt and color shoes and, not, you know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you know, so, you know, and, and then they said he has to be 28 years old. And uh, so they talked to this guy and he checked off all the things. And then finally, the guy goes, how old are you? And the guy goes, I'm 28, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and he became a Christian within a week or two. You that know? was our first married baptism. Yeah. Wow. And that was Nelson That's Santiago. Right. And I, I called Nelson literally just about several months ago and asked him to share this testimony. I recorded it and sent it out to several of the people from the original mission team. I go, I think you'd get a big kick out of this. But that was a story that we sold over and over again, you know, is that, listen, these guys, these brothers prayed specifically, and God answered that specific prayer. And, uh, you know, God did some pretty amazing things, even through Nelson, you know, and introducing our first marriage to the church. That's amazing. How did you guys scale it up so quickly? I mean, at the end of this first year, you're 400 people. How did how did you manage to just kind of develop a strike? You've got all non-leaders pretty much when you're going on the team. Then all of a sudden, you've got like a a large church. I mean, not not a mega church at that point, but you've got a very large church to deal with. How did you manage that organizationally? I mean, we kept it we kept it the same. I mean. We had Bible talks of like 10 house churches of 30 zones of, you know, just, you know, then the zones would be maybe five house churches, you know, so it, it was pretty much the Jethro principle of, you know, the small groups and then, you know, but you always had the larger group, you know, you always eventually had a ex more experienced leader that you could get input from, but I think just keeping it in that small, the small groups. And I think one of the things that some churches may have lost is just what the honor it is to be a Bible talk leader. Right, exactly. You know, I mean, when you became a Bible talk leader, it's it's like you got, you know, I mean, you called, talk to your non-Christian parents and go, guess what? I became a Bible <laughs> talk leader, you know? And, you know, they go, what's that? You know, and I mean, it's, it's just, it's like they were, you know, became an evangelist deluxe or something, right, you know, exactly. as, as they were so proud, you know, yeah. and, and even to be an assistant Bible talk yeah. leader was something, you know, maybe you're just in charge of the refreshments or something that week. But uh, even that was key because that meant that you're being groomed to be a Bible talk leader, right. you know, and, and so there was a real excitement about leadership right. that I think sometimes we've, we've lost a little bit today. Right. Um, instead of looking at it as a, a joy to kind of look at it more as a burden of responsibility. And, but, um, well, and, so. faith, and faith in people, because like, even when I go back way back to my early beginnings, I never wanted to be a Bible talk leader, hmm. you know, but even way back in Lubbock, somebody said, Hey, I think you can lead a Bible talk, hmm. you know? Right. So, okay. Well, if they think I can, I guess I can. Right. You know, and and I could. And right. so I think there's a lot of people today that feel like I just don't think I could do it. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not right. knowledgeable enough. I'm not this enough or that enough. And I mean, I think being a Bible talk leader means you can open up the Bible and read a scripture and ask people, what do you think? Exactly. <laughs> you know, as far as like even leading a discussion, you know, it doesn't have to be 
you know, the most eloquent ever, you know, and you just have to love people, exactly. care about the people in your group. That's we try to equip people, the new Baltic leaders with the lesson, you know, we'd give them the lesson. I remember when Milton, way back before I was a Baltic leader, uh, I would go to his Bible talk and take notes on it. And then, you know, maybe that would be on Tuesday night. And then Thursday night, I would give that same Bible lesson to my Bible talk. Right. You know, and uh, that's that's something I just kept going, even in Manila, is, you know, boy, helping our leaders out as much as we can. You know, here's a great lesson you can give to your people. And they, they really appreciate that because a lot of the stress came from, I don't know if I can write a Bible talk or put together one, right. you know, on a right. weekly basis. Right. And so we tried to really help people out that way as well. Well, one thing I remember, Preston, is you had a bunch of, of little red notebooks and you would keep <laughs> your sermons in there. And I, I remember you could pull one out and then put together a sermon be, or a Bible talk from, from those notebooks. And I was so impressed by that. I mean, you could pull out something from 1983. Oh, here's something I did back then. And you kept yeah. all of that stuff. It was amazing. Yeah, no, I still do. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me, one of the things that I find interesting is I've, I've talked to people in the Philippines, visited there a number of different times. And, and from time to time, people go, oh, hi, um, you know, hey, I want to introduce you to this sister. She's, she's number 37. And I'm like, what's, the, what's number 30? Well, I was the 37th baptism in the church. Can you talk a little bit about how that even gets started? Yeah, well, we started, uh, it's probably like a newsletter, you know, uh, we pass out, you know, for announcements and stuff. But on the back of it, we would put, you know, uh, this week we had, uh, uh, you know, these people baptized, you know, and so we just kept a running total, you know, like, you know, Sherlyn was number one and, you know, Tessa was number two and T-Boob was number three, you know, and Bong was number four, you know, and so, and then, you know, the next week, instead of just saying this is the fourth four baptism, we'd say, okay, next week starts number five and number six and so every week, you know, there was probably, you know, you know, seven or eight new baptisms that we put on there. And so it kept a running total all the way to 400. I think we did that the whole year, you know, and so even to this day, you know, when we go back to the Philippines, you know, people come up to me and go, hey, bro, I am number 137, you know. <laughs> And, and you know exactly what they mean, but they were they were the 137th baptism as printed on our bulletin. I know. You know they were so proud of that. Very proud. I mean, they just speak it with pride. I mean, it's a real special that they were there during that time. You could just tell that yeah. it's it's very meaningful to those people. And it's I've never seen another church like that with just the kind of excitement there. What? Let me ask you this. Why did you guys go? I mean... Okay, you're there, 60 baptisms in 60 days, 400 baptisms the first year. Why in the world did you leave? <laughs> we, we, we didn't, didn't have a choice. We didn't want to. Uh, it's funny because I can point to a scar on my arm and say this is why I left the Philippines the first year. Was uh, I was going down my stairs and I fell down the stairs and had this huge gash in my arm. And this was on the way to going to church. Yeah, right before church. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I look at my arm. I can literally look at an inch inside my arm and I go, I'm going to have to have stitches. You know, I've never had stitches before. And I was so afraid of stitches. 
But anyway, they took me to the hospital, had sits up and I'll, I'll finish this part because uh, I was actually counting the cost with someone there in our living room and the girl that was helping me count the cost was a nurse. So that was a good thing. She's able to run over and figure out, you know, help Preston out. But, you know, you got to take him to the emergency room. So we we told those sisters, OK, take the kids to church and find Anthony right away and tell him he has to preach because Preston's in the emergency room. So I took Preston to the emergency room and then I don't know, at some point he was all stitched up in recovery or whatever. So I, I went on to church and heard Anthony preach. And I was just like, so amazed that he did such an amazing sermon. He just right. pulled out an old Bible talk. Yeah. And... <laughs> or, or, or it was his Bible talk leader notes or I, I don't know what it was, but yeah, he, it was really, it was really impressive. So so then probably like a couple of weeks later or something, we, for some reason, we're going to be in LA. So we went to LA, we called up Kip and said, Hey, you know, you want to have lunch and I met with him for lunch and just started bragging about Anthony and how amazing he did with this sermon while Kip's mind was like thinking, I need somebody for San Francisco. Right, right. Hmm, maybe Anthony could lead the church. Son and Anthony could lead the church in Manila, and I can take Preston and Sandy. So, I mean, he just kind of, yeah, I think that was back when you're just told where, you know, this is what's going to happen. Right. You just just got transferred, basically. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like IBM. You get transferred over here or there. Right. Exactly. So, you just got a phone call then, or did Kip tell you right then, hey, we need you to go to San Francisco? No, no. no. He, he came, he, to the he came to the Philippines because he knew that we probably weren't going to be real excited about it. And he just wanted to make sure we understood the big picture. And, and, uh, so anyway, we're, I mean, back then there were, there, soldiers and, there were large shifts, you know, and if you changed one, it, it seemed like there was an avalanche of different moves. What was yeah. going on at that time that, that triggered that big move? Do you remember? I think it all started with Doug Arthur leaving London. And no, one day, that was, Oh, that was, Oh, that's that right. was that's us four leaving years. the. Yeah. That was leaving San Francisco the next time. Oh, I don't know what shifted. Oh, I that's... mean, I I think um, yeah, the Townsends were moving to L.A. maybe, or something, and yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I just I don't I'm kind of fuzzy on. It. I just remember that Ed performed our wedding ceremony, and which was awesome, and he <laughs> discipled us. We went away for a week. And we came back, and it's like, where's Ed? He's gone. I'm sure we, I'm sure we knew that he was going, but it's like all of a sudden, brand new couple disciples. Yeah. Well, back then, not only did you know, you just you were told this is going to happen, but it happened fast. Oh, it happened like, fast. Like you're going to move, yeah. and you're moving in two weeks. Exactly. You know, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. No, it was. There's a, there's a good side and a bad side to that. There's a lot of excitement. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of anticipation. Hey, guess what? I'm moving here. And so <laughs> anyway, that was awesome. Well, Preston and Sandy, thank you so much. I mean, that 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 is such an inspiring um, you know, story. Anything else you'd like to share about your experience in the Philippines that just, you go, this was amazing. Anything else? I'm glad you let us do it because uh, we've talked a lot about some of the strengths and amazing things that happened, but I think I'd like to maybe make a little confession uh, is because one of the things I probably 
see as my weakness during that time or the thing that uh, that I maybe most regret was that we were so focused on growth. And back then, you know, as we called it net growth because we'd have a certain number of fallaways and baptisms. And But uh, I think one of the biggest weaknesses in my leadership and during that time, and it's something we try to go back to the Philippines about every two or three years. So we, we go very frequently. But uh, every time I go, I apologize to the church because I go, I just, I didn't let people be weak, uh, you know, and, and that might have been even through a lot of our movement, you know, as we just didn't allow people to be weak and we counted people falling away way before, you know, they had made that own personal decision, you know, that, uh, you know, and so I, I, instead of working with people, I think that the parable that really speaks to me is the 99 and one, you know, how Jesus went after the one. And um, oftentimes my leadership, I just kind of looked at it. Hey, I've got 99. We're just going to have to count that one gone. And yet, you know, I didn't really understand that parable. I go, gosh, how, how, uh, you know, what about, you know, you got 99. Why don't you just be happy with that? And yet, you know, Jesus went after that one and it's kind of the same thought with the American military, you know, what they're proud of is never leave anyone behind, you know, because everybody's going to be a one at some point, you know, and so uh, it really helped me to see is that everybody's going to be weak at some point. And, uh, you know, in the military, you know, you're thinking, man, if, if, uh, if I get shot out there and maybe killed, I want my parents to have closure. I, I want to know that my buddies are going to risk their lives to come after me so that, you know, and so that, that means a lot, you know, is that uh, we need to do the extra mile and helping the weak. Yeah. And, it's easy to get caught up in, you know, like, especially when things are going crazy, it's easy to get caught up in the numbers and, and then lose that initial, what, what we said, the relationship. And really loving people, caring about them, like what Preston's saying, you know, and just get focused on numbers. And that's not what God's all about. That's not what Jesus was all about. Yeah. So, like I say, every time I go back, I apologize for that because, I, you know, I helped the foundation of the church was was not on that principle. And uh, I think that they've really made a lot of effort now to, to really change that. And I'm so proud of them for that. But uh that to me is the thing that personally I want to change more than anything else in my life and my leadership is, is really taking care of that one. So Preston, from, from that first year, um, who, who became evangelists from that time period? Well, our very first appointment was Sean and Anthony, and that was really special. We actually got to do their wedding ceremony as well. Our girls were in their wedding uh, and then uh, Mark and Patsy were appointed evangelist women's ministry leader, and they were married probably about six or seven months after we started the mission team, or after, after the mission. But uh, you know, appointments were really, really, really special. And of course, that reminds me of when I appointed you evangelist. That was that was a story I still tell to this day. A lot of times I forget who I appointed, who I baptized, but your appointment was very, very special. And um, I wanted it to be even more special. I'd seen, I think, Randy McKean 
memorized, you know, the passage in Second Timothy four, where uh, you know he just I give you I, this chart. <laughs> yeah, basically, I, I just uh, open my Bible and just read it to the person and try to read it real powerfully. But I practiced for a week or two. I said, okay, I'm going to memorize those five verses. And I'm going to look at Rob right in the eye. And this is like 1,200 people out in the audience exactly. more. And uh, we're standing up there, and my mind goes totally blank. <laughs> I mean, and my Bible is closed. I mean, I was so confident in myself, you know, and I was too embarrassed, you know. And I probably had about two seconds to just to say, okay, bag it. I'm going to have to open my Bible here. But we're looking at each other, and you just the ventriloquism, you know, or you just, you keep your mouth kind of closed, but you go, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. And I go, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. <laughs> then, you, then, then you go, who will judge the living and the dead? Who will judge the living and the dead? You know, in the presence of his God, you know, and, the, you know, and I would just, you would just do a really little bitty voice with your mouth closed so nobody could see it. But it, made me, it made me look so good. I mean, I was going, thank you, Rob. So, uh, oh, that was. So that, and, then, and then you preached a great welcome, uh, you know, acceptance or whatever you called it back then. That was, yeah. But that was super, super funny, oh, but yeah. special. And it just, it showed me how, brilliant you were that you had that passage memorized oh. and uh came to my rescue yeah it was such i mean that was such an amazing time because we'd been in portland that summer came back for the conference and then you gave me this huge double-edged sword from the philippines which was amazing as a gift and i was so thrilled about that hold on one second because i want to pull this out real quick okay i just got this from my bookshelf and this is the this is the Bible that you gave me on my appointment. I'm, I know we're kind of going back in time here. But I, <laughs> first of all, I mean, this inscription that you wrote for my, my appointment on August 25th, 1991, I have actually just, I copy this over for people I appoint as evangelists because it's, it still inspires me today. I just want to read this. It says, to my dear brother Rob, the calling of God is an awesome and fearful event. No one ever forgets a burning bush or blinding light. God has certainly touched your life and given you hope and purpose in this world. I believe that he has set your course to go where few men have the courage to go. You will face incredible opposition from forces that have destroyed millions upon millions of lives. The people of the nations need someone to lead. God has chosen you. Never forget what he has done for you. When you need strength, Remember our Lord who faced the cross all alone, but returned completely victorious. Eagerly desire to know God. The more hours you spend on your knees, the more clear and louder his guiding voice will become. Rob, I love and appreciate you so very much. I'm so happy and proud to appoint you as an evangelist in the kingdom today. I'll always be honored to stand with you, your brother Preston. Wow, that's cool. Oh my gosh, Preston. I just, I mean, one of the greatest things, uh, I, so, so precious to me and so meaningful. So thank you so much for your presence in my life. Really appreciate it. Well, what advice would you give to those who want to make this life count, who want to live a no regrets life? I just, I, I mean, personally, I feel like it's all about faith. 
you know, um, it stretched our faith. Um, and I would say, push yourself, you know, with, with God's guidance, (laughs) you know, and I think that's always been kind of something, and I don't know why, but I feel like if something comes before me and I feel like, okay, it seems like God is probably wanting me to do this thing that I don't want to do, then I, I, I need to, I need to do it kind of thing. And then God always blesses it. Um, so I think it's, you know, doing things out of your comfort zone, um, whether it's sharing your faith, whether it's, you know, loving people in a deep way, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, if you pray and, and you know that this is what, this is what God wants me to do. Right. And they allow yourself to be discipled. Mm. Uh, discipling is just an amazing, amazing thing that God works. I think God works miracles through that. I recently had a guy, you know, apologize for, you know, he goes, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm asking so many questions or, you know, that kind of thing. Or I get, and I go, no, it's just an amazing thing. God blesses not only you and hopefully information I can give you, but he blesses me. I go, sometimes I'm amazed at what comes out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I remember I used to go on counseling appointments and I'd come home and Sandy go, how'd it go? And I said, gosh, it was great can't believe the things that were coming out of my mouth. And she goes, well, what'd you say? And I go, and I couldn't think of it at the time. I go, but it really is true. God puts on your heart uh, the things to say at the right moments. And I think discipling loosens that up, you know, so it's, it's a blessing to the disciple and to the discipler, uh, you know, because I'd love for people to ask me advice because it loosens things in my brain that I'm, I'm glad to get, hold of and then together we can we even come out with even a better answer than either one of us had right but uh, allow yourself to be discipled allow yourself to be pushed uh allow yourself to be challenged you know to like sandy says get out of that comfort zone exactly exactly well preston and sandy thank you so much thank you personally for the influence that you've had in our lives in our marriage in becoming evangelist and women's ministry leader we respect you guys and are so grateful. I mean, just to get trained by you guys after you guys came off that mission field and leaving Denver, it was like God's plan. It was so, so exciting. I remember when we went to Portland and you guys came up to spend a week with us at the very beginning and it was awesome. I remember the day you guys were leaving and I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you're leaving. Oh no, we're going to be by ourselves. And I remember you just sitting us down and you said, listen, you guys are all you have guys need to really love each other and look out after each other. You're, you're a team. And man, I just, that just stuck with us. It's like, yeah, we're a team. We're going to do this. And, and that church did really well. I mean, it grew, it grew quickly and it was really strong and healthy. And, you know, and I, I attribute that to the influence in, in that you gave to us and, and the belief that you had in us. So thank you very much. Thanks for being on the program today. You're welcome. We love you and Pam yeah, so love. much. Um, just so many great memories with you guys and you helped us, especially when we were in Tokyo, uh, just bonding there with us. I know. <laughs> being our friends. I know. Love <laughs> you bunches. Love you too. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to ask your help and support through one of the following. First of all, hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about the podcast. Secondly, read and review one of my books, either how to plant and grow a church or Courage, how to make this life count. Because my goal is to inspire you, 
to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.